By now, I hope many of you have noticed the really quite striking sculpture that's in the back in the nave here at St. Joe's. And if you haven't taken a close look at it, or maybe you just walked by quickly coming in, I'd encourage you to do so. It's the depiction of Mary in this role that Pope Francis has kind of revitalized. It's an old image, but Mary the untire of knots, right? This idea that we sometimes find ourselves in such difficult, confusing situations. Our lives are tied in knots. And Mary, through her intercession, will somehow help untie those things. Maybe bring some clarity or at least some inner peace in the face of that knotted situation we may find ourselves in. And so someone commissioned that statue. It's really quite striking. And by it are these little ribbons. And the idea is you can take a ribbon representing whatever your knot du jour happens to be, and you can just put it there. You just stick it right on the statue. That idea of a prayer intention. It's one of the oldest forms of worshiping. Really, it goes much older than the Catholic Church. Go to the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem. You see little prayer intentions stuck into the wall. This idea that you physically take something that represents an intention or maybe in this case a knot that you want to have undone and you just make that intention and then you place it on the statue. And if you go back there just in a couple of weeks, there's already hundreds of these little things taped onto the statue. So if you haven't done yours yet, I'd encourage you to do it. The other thing about that statue though is it's just so striking. It's not kind of your typical church statue. It almost looks like something you want to climb into and sit on. And I've seen a number of little kids do this. And it's pretty sturdy, so I think it can take it. Um, I don't see the pastor around here, so go for it, kids. <laughs> but it's a wonderful depiction. It just kind of draws you in. So why in the Feast of Pentecost am I giving Mary so much attention? Well, she always deserves it. But what I'd like to suggest is that's a powerful example of putting today's great feast day to work, if I can say it that way. I mean, yes, this is all about the coming of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is what vitalizes our church. The Holy Spirit does this. The Holy Spirit does that. One of the things I love about St. Joe's, I knew coming in tonight the great red flames would be here hanging from the ceiling. When I go around to different parishes in the Archdiocese, if people know anything about St. Joe's, they know about the flames at Pentecost. But how do we leverage that, if I can put it that way? In other words, it's not enough to simply say the Holy Spirit has come down upon us as a church and has blessed us in all sorts of wonderful ways. I mean, that is a powerful thing and a beautiful thing. But our church takes us beyond what we just read about in the scriptures. And that's the beautiful thing about how we Catholics understand revelation. It's certainly what's there in scripture, but then there's also this ongoing body of tradition with a capital T. And we're constantly evolving. God isn't, but we are. So yes, the Holy Spirit comes and we celebrate that, but then what do we do with it? And this idea that I can take a prayer intention and just in a very visceral way, somehow represented by this little ribbon, this knot, and I can stick it on the statue, and I can ask for Mary's intercession. That's a way of taking these flames and saying, all right, Holy Spirit, 
Here is what I'm bringing before you. Yes, I'm placing it in Mary's arms, but I'm bringing it before you. And I want you to do to it what you did to them in the early church. I want you to do to it what you do in every sacrament, right? Every single sacrament, somehow the Holy Spirit is invoked and we ask that it changes something. Holy Spirit, change the bread and the water into the body and blood of Christ. Corpus Christi, feast day is coming up in a couple of weeks. Confirmation, Holy Spirit, come upon these men and women. Baptism, Holy Spirit, come upon this baby, this child, this grown man or woman. There the Holy Spirit just came and descended upon them in that room. And now we as church are called to say, Holy Spirit, come and I want you to transform something else for me. And that's why the great prayer to the Holy Spirit begins with a command, right? Veni Sancti Spiritus, come Holy Spirit. We just sang it in the sequence. It's not, oh Holy Spirit, would you please think about doing this? Holy Spirit, if you can spare some time on Thursday, might you deign to show up? Come, Holy Spirit. It's the imperative voice. It's a command. Come, Holy Spirit. I've got a mission for you. Now, if that seems arrogant or egotistical or where do we get off talking that way, it's that beautiful unfolding from when Jesus himself said, I'm giving you my spirit. Now you take it and go out but that looks like something. Yes, of course, in something like baptism, we know what it looks like. I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When the Eucharist is celebrated, I, the priest, incredible privilege, call down the Holy Spirit to consecrate the bread and the wine. But what's your role in all this? Is it to sit back and watch? As I always say to the seminarians, Catholicism is not a spectator sport. I don't care how many YouTube personalities and podcasts and books we sell, at the end of the day, either we roll up our sleeves and wade into it ourselves, or we're just running a celebrity contest. And you all know that. So all I want to share with you, just one last parting thought. I know I've shared this with some of you before. This is a printed copy of the second half of my homily. <laughs> the intermission. These are the documents of Vatican II, okay? So I talk about tradition. When I talk about how do we as the Catholic Church continue to build upon, not replace, not improve upon, but build upon sacred scripture. Well, through its 2,000 years, the Church does that. And she doesn't just wing it. It's the product of a lot of prayer and conversation. And for us, the Second Vatican Council, that's the most recent authoritative global gathering now almost 60 years on, but it takes time. And one of the great documents there, Lumen Gentium, that name will sound familiar to some of you in this room, for others, not at all, but to re-familiarize ourselves with these documents. But in Lumen Gentium, there's this wonderful line, it's paragraph 34, right? Write it down before you have your barbecue this weekend. Lumen Gentium 34, because there, it says to the laity, point blank, this is your job. This is your job. This is your responsibility. And it's all about consecration. It doesn't say, we hope the laity might do this, or wouldn't it be wonderful if you could find the time. This is what you do. It's not what I do. And he talks about how you are called to consecrate things in your life. Well, what are these things you're called to consecrate? 
for all your works, prayers, apostolic undertakings, family and married life, daily work, relaxation of mind and body, all these things, your works, your prayers, daily life, life with your family, life when you get up and go to work, life as you deal with the knots that you want to have undone. This is the stuff of the life of every lay man and woman. Vatican II says, for all of these things, if they are accomplished in the Spirit, right? If somehow you say, Holy Spirit, I want you to come into the minutia of my life. Yes, these joyful things, but also these struggles into my marriage, into the life of my struggling parents, into the life of my children, into all the questions I have in my career path, even the hardships of life, if patiently born, all these become spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. In the celebration of the Eucharist, all these things in the daily life of laymen and women may most fittingly be offered to God with the body of the Lord. And so, worshiping everywhere by their holy actions, the laity consecrate the world itself to God. Worshiping everywhere by their, by your holy actions, the laity consecrate the world itself to God. I can't tell you anything more profound than that. The bread and the wine will be brought up in a moment and it will be consecrated. It will become the body and blood of Christ. You'll receive that and you'll go forth from here and your job is to consecrate the world. And everything that you hold, the people you touch, the lives you interact with, the things you engage with, the little prayer for an untying of knots that you put on the statue, what would our lives look like if we said, my responsibility is to consecrate the world? What I say to the seminarians is you have failed miserably in your job if the people who leave your mass don't have some sense of responsibility for consecrating the world. And that can sound melodramatic, but it looks like something. And every one of you knows what it looks like uniquely in your own lives. So just a little spiritual exercise as we move forward. As I said, the Feast of the Body and Blood of Christ is in just two weeks, and we'll hear all about the Eucharist, as we should. But the bread and wine are consecrated here. What will you consecrate? When you wake up on, well, Monday's a holiday. When you wake up on Tuesday morning, what do you want to consecrate? What relationship do you want to ask the Holy Spirit to come into? What knot or puzzle or worry have you been wrestling with? Holy Spirit, come. It takes intentionality and it takes receptivity. That's an incredible responsibility. I envy you that it's yours because only you, according to the wisdom of our own church, only you have that authority that ability and that responsibility.